learn how to regulate your nervous system in the discomfort. Because what we usually try to do is we try to go and get out of it as quickly yeah. as possible. Cause we're like, oh, I don't want to feel the comfort now that I have the conscious awareness of something, let me get out and let me get to the other side. But it's like, if you can lean into the discomfort of the in-between and regulate, like not trying to fix, not trying to get out of, but like, okay, let me be with this discomfort where I'm not quite here and I'm not quite there. I'm somewhere in the middle. And sometimes I get in the undercurrent and sometimes I pop my head back up. Like that's the magic that's going to happen. Cause you're always going to feel that. Hello, and welcome to the Healing and Dealing Podcast. I am your host, Charlotte, and I am so excited to go on this journey with you. Through a trauma-informed lens, we will navigate healing through conversation and connection while learning tools to embody our transformation and make lasting changes in our lives. We will cover relatable topics and discuss various modalities to put into action and ignite change. This podcast will have incredible guests who will share their story and provide proof that even in the darkest times, there is light waiting for us. If you landed here, it's for a reason. Now, let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Healing and Dealing. I'm so excited today. I have my mentor, Erin Porter. She is an energetics business coach, master practitioner, trainer of NLP and hypnosis, breathwork facilitator, somatic experiencing practitioner and training, adult attachment repair model therapist, and host of the Energetics Business Podcast. After spending years in her hustle, go-go, high-achieving energy, her business skyrocketed when she tapped into her receiving energy and began to heal the parts of her that she always hid back. She helps women scale through trauma, inform business practices, internal healing, and understanding the energetics of business. Erin's clients have gone on to become multiple six-figure coaches, speakers, authors, international speakers, and have incredible internal transformation. Erin, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And like watching this like whole, like I just said, I'm like watching you like evolve into this practice and and your podcast has been incredible so honored to be here yeah it's you've definitely seen the birth from the very beginning to now so it's incredible to actually have my own podcast and have you on it and talk about you and your business and and you know what qre did for me and my growth internally and you know just as a coach and where i see myself going in the future so thank you so much Thank you. So yeah, why don't you give a little background beyond, you know, the bio that I read and we can kind of dive in from there. Yeah. So just, I guess, kind of like for for context, I had a lot of like burnout in, in my life. Like that's a big piece of my story because so much of my worth was tied into how much I could achieve. Like my mom loves to tell this story before I started kindergarten. I wanted to ride my bike without training wheels, blow bubble with bubble gum, <laughs> tie my shoes. Like I wanted to do all these things. And like that very much became like the imprint in which I lived my life. Like I'd work three to four jobs at once. I'd have all these leadership things. And I would end up in the hospital often because I would get sick because I would get run down because my system just couldn't handle how much I was doing. But I didn't, obviously, you know, when I was younger, I didn't realize I just thought I was sick all the time. And it was just because I'd push and I'd push and I'd push. Um, 
that's how I received love. That's how I got attention. That's how I felt safe. Like that was my coping mechanism. And I really used my, I lived up in my mind. So I used my body more so as like a place of control. So like through, I had disordered eating. That was a form of control, working, doing, going, hustling, proving, using my body, like in relationships, like everything was just like this I made a post about this the other day. I'm like, my body was like a storage unit and I'd store all of my emotions in there, but I'd find ways to control everything around me to try to make myself feel safe and try to have it all together, have everything be be great and awesome all the time. And so that really led me to, you know, it led me to entrepreneurship. It led me to a lot of the inner work because I realized like I can't keep going this way. Like something has to change. It was kind of like my last round, I guess, of adrenal fatigue. It really hit Mm -hmm. me. And I was just speaking and I have a picture of like me laying with my dog in bed because I would just like go, go, go and crash. And I knew something had to be different. I couldn't keep just, you know, chasing the next thing, thinking that the next thing was going to be the thing that changed everything. So I started inner child work and that's what then opened up all the subconscious, all the somatic work and and led me to this point. What do you think it was about your childhood that, you know, kind of created this person who wanted to achieve so much? Is it just like, were you starting to get that gratification at a really young age and went with it? Or do you think you were just born with that inside of you? Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because like my parents were always like, they never put any pressure on me. They weren't like those parents that were like, you got to get straight A's. You got to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. Like my mom would be like, I barely like passed the school. So like, you know, you're mm-hmm. crushing it. But I think for me, it, it was, you know, what I realized was like, yes, you know, I received love and attention. and But I really feel like as I've like dived, have dove in deeper into it, it's like everything was okay. Like I didn't have to, like if I was achieving or doing like everything was okay, I didn't have to worry about other people. Like I feel like it just kind of almost helped everything that was unspoken that was happening because a lot of it in my household wasn't spoken. It was unspoken energy. And so it kind of reflect, like it kind of deflected off of anything that was happening and it was something that was good. So for me, I was like, well, if I can just keep making good things happen all around me, it'll outweigh the unspoken heavy things that are also happening too. So I'll be kind of like the, what is that? The lamb or the the mm-hmm. thing. Like So then that way I can soften the blow. And it was actually a way too for me to not have everybody in my life feel their own discomfort. So I was like, okay, well, I can just make it good. I can take care of it. I can be everything to everyone. And then I didn't have to, you know, nobody else had to feel discomfort, but it was really hard for me to be with other people's discomfort too. I think that was kind of like my way of achieving and holding it all together. I totally relate with that. I feel like I've been the same type of person, but I come from a different I guess, background. Mine mine was more about controlling the situation and wanting to achieve because that's really all I had to hold on to when everything was so chaotic, you know? So, but would you say you were like a people pleaser growing up and, and before you started doing all this work and making sure everyone else was okay before yourself? Oh, I mean, that was my, that was my MO. Like <laughs> if I had to like rank top protection strategies, people pleasing was one. Yeah. And it, it would terrify it. Like, you know, like it would be terrifying for me to have somebody mad at me, somebody upset with me. 
Like I even remember my mom, like I would always go into the bathroom when my mom was like taking a bath and like I'd want to like talk to her. Like that was just like the time that we'd talk. And I remember there was one time where like obviously my mom just needed 10 minutes with four kids in the bathroom mm-hmm. by herself. And I like would write a note underneath the door like, are you mad at me? And she's like, no, I'm not mad at you. Like I just need 15 oh minutes. So I was like, I mean, and that was like I would end up making myself sick if I thought anybody was mad at me. Like, you know, if a friend got mad at me for something in school or if someone was upset with me or something happened, I would pretty much avoid it at all costs possible because I'd people please so much. But if it's like if I didn't step right or didn't do something right and then somebody did get mad at me, I would just, it would make me physically sick. Like I'd have to like run to the bathroom because there's just so much of that emotion that would come through my body so yes to answer that very hardcore people people pleaser so i would guess you had an anxious attachment style Mm -hmm. like when you were younger okay yeah like that definitely sounds like that so what kind of work did you do to overcome that like i know the inner child healing but like actually your nervous system you probably really had to dive into what kind of things did you do Yeah, I did attachment therapy weekly. So stick work, adult attachment repair model um, that I ended up becoming trained in. And that was really for me because I realized like I had no boundaries. I had no boundaries because I was afraid to to have people like, you know, be upset with me. I wanted everyone else to be okay at the expense of myself. And, you know, through that work, I realized like I was just constantly trying to like reach and make everything okay. And so what that helped me find was like, who like who am I outside all these dynamics? Like who am I if I'm not doing this? And what relationships are still there when I'm not doing those things? And what does that look like? So yeah, I mean, attachment work, like I always tell people, I'm like, I'm really honest with people. I'm like attachment work, depending upon your level of attachment trauma, you're looking at consistent sessions, three to seven years of work like wow. to really work through it. Like it's it's deep rooted in there. I mean, right. a lot of people are coming into this work 30, 40, 50 years old. You have 30, 40, 50 years of attachment stuff to to right. work through. And like there's just the depth of it that lives in the body. So I knew that for myself and I was like, okay, okay I'm going to commit to this every single week. And sometimes it's really hard and other days I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm sitting in more of the well-being and it's just that it's a devotion to yeah. to that work for sure. Since we're on the subject of attachment styles, I'm doing the relationship challenge with Gabby Bernstein. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's like 15 days. And yesterday was about attachment. And I'm like, okay, I know. I know about this stuff, right? I'm trained in it. But I actually had a pretty deep realization because the relationship I'm choosing to work on is with Henry, my husband. And I would say it's anxious at times and secure at times, like a mixture. And then I kind of dove into that when I was journaling. And then she asked, like, what was your childhood like, your your attachment? And the, of course, it was anxious because I it was unpredictable. It was unsafe. But then there was also this secure part of it because I had a really strong relationship with my mom. So even though it was like chaotic, we I never felt like our bond was affected by that for some reason. Like we always talked. She always heard me. She always listened to me. We had like this really deep connection. I was like, wow, that's interesting. It's the same right now, you know? So I definitely still have parts to work on when it comes to the anxious attachment and same with the people pleasing just like you. But it's it's just crazy how like you think that you, you've done some work, but like you said, it's probably, you know, another five to seven years of learning about myself and, and you know, how I attach to people and how I react in situations and 
learning how to change that, you know, so I can be feel more safe and secure in my own body and not even need that from somebody else. You know what I mean? Totally. And I, and I think something that I try to remind myself of too, because I think sometimes people hear like the length of time of work or whatever. I'm like, it's always an unfolding. And I yeah. think what we can then do is, especially if you relate with like the achieving element is like, we'll turn our healing journey into an achieving <laughs> journey. It's like, oh, well, I have to be able to get there in order to receive, so or I must like work through all of these things. And it's like, there's always going to be a new layer, but it's like, you have to learn like at what pace, like at what pacing are you letting everything unfold and not just going into like this fishing, fixing expedition of yourself. Cause I think I've seen, I see a lot of that where people get hyper fixated on attachment or something else. And then mm -hmm. they, they start digging up stuff and it's actually the whole thing of trauma is too much, too fast, too soon. And then yeah. they start doing that in their healing journey. And then it just feels like, I'm flooded with all this stuff. How can I get out of it? And it's like, there actually needs to be a pacing and you need to look at the lens in which you're doing your healing work. Is it from a lens of fixing or is it from a lens of like wholeness and opening? Yes. Yeah. What would you say the difference is? Well, fixing, like you're you're constantly thinking that something's going to change you and fix you and make your like make you better when right. like that's not the purpose the purpose is like yes you're already whole we have some stuff that's popping up and like let's work through that but if you just keep digging you're going to feel honestly probably like worse because it's mm -hmm. just going to like you can't get out of this aftermath versus like okay like yes there's something here let me work through it and let me be with it as it comes up and it, it, I feel like it creates more of like a sustainability in it and mm -hmm. a more of like a healthy pacing, which is like what we want in a healing journey. Otherwise, like we're healing from inside of the trauma response versus outside of the trauma response. Yeah, I feel like that relates to so many different things. But the first thing that popped in my head was coaching overall. Like you have, you don't want to be a fixer. You can't fix people. You want them to know that they're whole and they have it inside them. So and from from everything, like even different programs that I've went through, it's like there's n the ones that truly work are not just trying to fix you. You know, it's like it's a journey. It's an unfolding. It takes time. There's layers and layers to go through. So I love that. That's mm -hmm. so true in so many ways. I was going to say something. I forgot what it was. There was like so many thoughts that popped up. Oh, I, I, ha I have one that that popped up. I think to kind of on, on that topic is like then we equate what we, we equate what we're going to receive Mm -hmm. with the depth uh, that we've healed and like I'll watch people do that with like like money or finding love or finding you know a relationship then they yeah. get upset people like but I've done all this work around it like where's my prize like where's my thing and it's like again then now you've equated I have to do x amount in order to receive x amount versus like you're always worthy you're always receiving you're always allowing and yes, there's usually some, you know, little turbulences that we have to work through. So I'd say that's just something I'd share with everyone is like, just make sure that you're not healing to get. And like, it's more of just like that healing to allow. That makes so much sense. Yeah. A, a lot of people, like a lot of my close friends are on healing journeys right now. And they're diving into this podcast and they're getting so much from it. Like people that are actually close to me, which I think is so great. And so many of them are like stuck in this like, in between space where they're kind of like shedding pieces of them or parts of them and they're co coming into this new person but they're they're anxious about it they're having all of these feelings they're overwhelmed they they don't have clarity they don't know which which way to turn like what would you tell that person who's who's like in that in between stage and it's their first time ever even attempting to like heal parts of them that that have been there for years 
Yeah, probably an annoying answer, but like learn how to regulate your nervous system in the discomfort. Because what we usually try to do is we try to go and get out of it as quickly yeah. as possible because we're like, oh, I don't want to feel the comfort now that I have the conscious awareness of something. Let me get out and let me get to the other side. But it's like if you can lean into the discomfort of the in-between and regulate, like not trying to fix, not trying to get out of, but like, okay, let me be with this discomfort where I'm not quite here and I'm not quite there. I'm somewhere in the middle and sometimes I get in the undercurrent and sometimes I pop my head back up. Like that's the magic that's going to happen because you're always going to feel that. Because once you move out of one under, like one, you know, thing, you're going to be like, okay, well, what is that next thing that I'm moving into? And there's going to be a new, you know, Mm -hmm. wave of discomfort to navigate. So I think just like little practices to regulate your nervous system and be in the discomfort feels like then less of a pressure to have to like get out of it somehow. Right. Yeah. And if if everyone listens to the end, we're going to do a, a demo of a way you can do that, where you can anchor in and kind of ride the wave through those moments. Aaron's going to walk us through that. So we will save that for the end. I wanted to ask you about, you know, protector parts, because that's something I dove into this morning when I was journaling. And, you know, it brought it brought on the tears. Like I had this release and it was like, OK, and it was with the relationship challenge again. It's like bringing up all these things. Right. And one protector part of me that I use often still is like defensiveness. And I started thinking about like where that comes from. And it was I had these visions pop in my head of being in, you know, a trailer when I was little and my mom was fighting with her boyfriend and I was like pushing her in the bathroom, yelling at him, leave her alone, stop hitting her, like protecting her. Right. And like defending her and locking the door and telling her like I was literally like five, like begging her not to go out of the bathroom so they wouldn't fight. And so, of course, that brought on like a wave of emotions for me. And the best part of it was in the meditation, it like walks you through telling yourself, you know, like I told myself anyway, it came just came naturally like you're safe now. You're not in that place anymore. You don't have to fight, you know, and I always have to like remind myself of that. But that defensiveness just rears its head up all the time. And I'm like, gosh, like I don't want to feel like this. So can you talk a little bit about these protector parts and what they are and like what they mean so so people kind of understand? Yeah, I've been taught about protectors and how I teach it now is really like they're these little like superhero strategies and they're also like defense mechanisms. Like they have gifts and then they also have distortions. Yes. And we have how, uh, how also I like to look at them is like these just little, little parts of us that are stuck in consciousness that are still operating from the lens of a, of a child. Mm-hmm. And so they have these strategies that they have known to keep themselves safe for 20, 30, you know, 40, 40 years. And uh, they'll run these different strategies just in the ways that they know. So like the, the defensiveness or the people pleaser or the fixer. It's like that's how they know have known to find safety. And so they just, you know, pop up in times of overwhelm or dysregulation. And they're like, let me keep myself safe. And the thing is, is with these protectors, it's like they think that if you stop running that strategy, that like you're literally going to die. And yeah. so that's why they pop up so much is because they're like, I have to protect you. Like I literally have to keep you alive. Even though consciously you're like, I know I don't have to do that anymore. They still think that they have to to do that. And so what I usually will help people understand, and this is rooted in attachment work as well, is like those protectors need reassurance. They need like a reassurance strategy that like, hey, like, thank you for this. Like they need almost like that validation of like, I love you so much. Thank you for helping me. Like this was so needed in a time in my life. And now like there's a healthy like adult here 
that can stand up for the self. And so that's always something that I want people to notice when they have a, a have a protector instead of trying to like get rid of it or push it away. It's like invite it along on the journey with you because mm-hmm. there's gifts and wisdom of it. You okay. just have to understand when is it operating from that little lens versus your adult lens. Yeah, I have a question. In the meditation at the end, she said if you're if that protector part wasn't doing what it's doing for you, what else would it be doing? So what is what does that mean to you? I had a hard time understanding that. Yeah. So I think of it like um, this is kind of rooted in, in internal family systems work. It's like if that protector had a job and like so right now its job is in the case that you're describing is defensiveness. If it wouldn't if it wasn't doing defensiveness, what else would it rather be doing? What's the other job that would have? You know, a lot of times people will say like, oh, well, it just wants to be able to relax. It wants to be able to be with the unknown it wants to be able to be with the unfolding it just wants to like live and not have to do this like fight mode every time that something pops up so it's like think of it as like that's job one what other job would it want instead okay yeah definitely wants to be calm and cool and collected that's for sure (laughs) yeah yeah and then it's like how do you find the safety in that like that gets to be the the new strategy because it's like they're completely switching templates and so Mm -hmm. that's also an exploration too of like okay can i actually feel safe then not moving from the chaos anymore and the discomfort because it's like that's always the path of least resistance even though we don't want it consciously it's like it's easier for us just to go there because right like okay well i know how to operate in chaos but operate in peace i guess i want that but can i actually feel safe to be able to do that Right. I feel like that's what leads a lot of people to self-sabotaging. You, know? you got it. <laughs> I know I lived like that a lot for a long time. I remember in the beginning of my relationship, it was like when things were going good, it, it was like, wait, I need to like I, I did so much better when something would, you know, happen and drama would happen. And I had to like figure out a way to handle it. And like I I guess it like gave me a sense of feeling like strong and I can do this. But and when things were just peaceful it was like this is something's not right like what's going on (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah let's always tell people with attachment work i'm like yes it's working on your attachment trauma but it's equally learning how to hold the well-being in your body and the goodness because like you have to learn how to be able to hold both one big thing within attachment trauma is developmental disappointment waiting for the other shoe to drop can Mm -hmm. things really stay this good and we'll either unconsciously find something to sabotage or we'll be like drama chaos let me like jump into the the pot over here and so like again it is working through your stuff but it's also learning to anchor in and be with what's good what is working what's what is uh yeah just feeling good in my body too yeah it's it's definitely i'm loving it now like there's especially since i stopped drinking it's everything is just more peaceful and and i actually like love every second of it i don't want any any drama or toxic or negativity and um i've definitely gotten better at learning to regulate myself in those moments and not self-sabotage okay i was gonna bring up it's kind of about drinking but earlier you had said um like the uncomfortable moments you know and like learning how to get through those and anchor in and I feel like a lot of times, like you said, people will run from uncomfortability. Like, of course, you know, and like my go-to was always drinking. Like, I'm uncomfortable. It's time to drink. In social settings, like I always felt anxious. I always felt like judged or so as soon as I would drink, it would take away that discomfort. But 
now that I've gone a year without drinking almost, it's like there's been so much discomfort and so much I've had to like make myself go through that it's it's made me such a better person having to actually experience that. And even at your events that I've been to where I'm just like, I felt out of place. I felt like why I don't belong here. And like, but I stayed in that room. I talked with those women. I built connections that I still talk to today. So it's just like working out that muscle and like keeping yourself in that uncomfortability. Like eventually it it becomes comfortable once you go through it, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I would. And I, it, it's a practice. I mean, it's just like going to the gym, right? It's not like fun and, you know, exciting at first, like wake up and like, okay, I'm going to like commit to doing this thing. But it, it, and like, then you get sore and all of that. So I always look at them like it's like an internal discomfort versus an external. And what we do, I think, you know, what you're sharing with, with alcohol or whatever your coping strategy is, it's like we're looking for that reach to try to get us out of it as quick as possible versus like, for me now, I'm just like, I'm just going to allow it. Like, I'm going to allow that. Yeah. I'm allowing myself to like want to reach. And I'm just like noticing and, and being with like all of these pieces of me that want to do something. But I feel like literally the best thing that you can do is just learn how to be with the discomfort and try to make it more fun than like, oh, I have to endure mm-hmm. all this discomfort and this is horrible. It's like, well, that's just going to make you feel even worse. So it's like, yeah. oh, okay. Like I'm noticing now that I have this clarity, like when I'm in a social situation and I can't grab a drink, that there's this that pops up in my body. Mm-hmm. Hmm, okay. Like, so I try to look at it from more of like a lighthearted lens of like, yeah. oh, I'm curious and let me be with this and noticing versus like this sucks. I have to sit here in my discomfort and like throw a temper tantrum. It's like right. invite in the curiosity. Uh, that's literally what I was going to say is the curiosity is probably what's gotten me through so much of this. Even in the beginning, it was like, what's it like? You know, what it, what would it be like if I didn't use alcohol to cope? And, and every single time I was in that uncomfortable feeling, it would be, I would use curiosity all the time and compassion, like always having yeah. compassion for myself and, and just knowing like, okay, and celebrating, you know, after I, after I would do something that was uncomfortable, I felt like that was like huge too. I was just telling my girlfriend that the first like month I went alcohol free, I had, cause she's doing the October sober or sober October and she's like, the first thing I thought of was I have this event coming up in the middle of October and like, now I'm not going to drink. And I'm like, that's always what happens, right? You start thinking of the things that you're, you're, you have coming up that you know you want to drink at or you're supposed to drink at. It's kind of like a diet, like, oh, I'm going to go on a diet, but there's that birthday party this weekend and a wedding that weekend. So it's like you, your mind like thinks of things to kind of get you away from it, right? But <laughs> I was telling her the first two events I did or went to well, one was with her it was just us two us three girlfriends and when we, they drank and I did it and when I got in the car it was like yes like I felt I was like yelling in my car by myself and I was like I freaking did that that was amazing I felt like I had a high you know like I felt like I I just felt like I was on top of the world and like that celebration piece was what really kept giving me that motivation to to keep going you know and like that feeling of just like it just felt so good inside my body, you know? Yeah. The celebration piece is everything. Cause then if like, if, if you're not celebrating, like what are you doing? Everything uh, body has to like get the well being. It has to get the goodness. Like, okay. Like, yes. And the compassion piece is huge as well. Cause if you're so judgmental on the self or hard on the self, like there's going to be moments where you're like, Oh, I want to reach. I want to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Like I want to go into this old pattern. And if you don't bring that level of compassion, then it's a judgment, shame, guilt, which is so much stuckness in the system if you do that 
Right. Yeah. I just don't, I don't feel like I could have done any of this deeper work if I was still numbing with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't like pick something else up and numb with it. Like I just, like I'm not shopping a ton. I'm not like gambling or like any other like thing that I could pick up to try to replace it. It's just been like life, like by yes. itself. No numbing, no nothing, feeling all the emotions and especially your program, your six month quantum ripple effect program. Like I I had did so much internal work in that program. And I know it was like for me to get a certification, but it was so much more for for me, like just as a person. And like I love how in the beginning you have all of us go first and do some internal work on ourselves. Like that that was huge. And I want I want you to tell the listeners like why do you think that's so important for coaches to like or for anyone, if if you want to help anyone, like doing your own work first. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can really only take others as deep as you're willing to take yourself, right? So it's like if you're going to tell somebody else to change, like I would never tell somebody to, to do or go or whatever to something that I haven't done first. Like there's just like an integrity piece of that for me that feels feels off. But also like you need that capacity to be able to hold somebody in their stuff, but you have to be able to hold your, yourself in their stuff first. like. Right even with the discomfort thing. It's like, if you can't sit in your own discomfort, how are you going to sit in somebody else's? Like that was a huge realization that I had in coaching was like, I couldn't be in my own discomfort. So I just wanted to fix everybody else's discomfort because I was avoiding avoiding mine. And so I think you really have to like, you know, not that you need to be like fully healed or whatever, but you just need to be like, have that willingness to be like, I'm turning inward, I'm turning inward, I'm turning inward. Yeah, because I remember when we were doing like our practice sessions and and I was coaching someone, there would be things that would pop up that would trigger me during during that. And I'm supposed to be the coach, right? So I can't get triggered. So like you just said, you turn inward and like you calm it down. But what what other things do you suggest like when that happens? Like even if you're talking with your girlfriend, you know, like you don't want to turn it around and put it, make it about you. You're trying to support her and hear her. What yeah. can you do? Yeah, I always like, so like, let's say like we're talking about something I'm like noticing like in my heart, I might even just like place my hand on my heart. Like you probably wouldn't even notice that I was doing it, but that's just like my way for me to like give a little message to the little part of me. Like I see you right now. We are holding space for someone else. And like, I'll even just tell that part, like I'll be back for you like after the session. And that's why I always give myself a little bit of time. I mean, sometimes I, you know, day gets crazy, but I'll give myself even a minute, five minutes to transition in between one thing from the next. Because if I have a part that gets activated and I told that part, like, I'll be there for you after, and then I don't do that, I broke some trust. So I want to like check back in with that part. That's like, ah, like we got kicked up. And so just like finding the, those like transitional moments, a minute, five minutes to be able to connect into it so I can re-regulate and reset and know that like, you're not just abandoning it. You're just in a session or supporting somebody. Right. Yeah. That's that's something I've definitely learned with you, actually. Like before that, I really didn't even think about that. So it's it's so important, though. Yeah. Uh, let's I think it's time I want to share with everyone. Sorry, I got like lost in a little <laughs> a little moment. I'm just going back to like things that we did in, your, in the program. Um, I want to share with all the listeners a demo, I guess you could say. Of, are we going to do fires method? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that I learned in Erin's program and she's going to do it on me. So all of you can kind of, I'll let you explain it. You're you're better at it. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So how, how I look at the fires method and what we'll do today is just kind of like a quick demo for you to like get into your body. 
A lot of times we're always like thinking about how to feel better instead of actually feeling and being with the sensations in our body. And, you know, when we go throughout our days, our life, like we we shove down all the emotions in our in our system. And if we try to think our way out of it, I mean, we can get places, but it's like if we can just pause and be with the sensation, when you presence it, it's almost like presencing a child when they're like, mom, 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 you know, it, it kind of opens it up and it gives it a little bit of spaciousness and like room to move. So what we'll do in this exercise is just a little couple minute practice that you can do of just being with the sensations. Because I think when we're disconnected from our felt sense, disconnected from the sensations in our body, we're operating from our mind. And our mind sometimes is like pinging like a ping pong ball, like back and forth everywhere. But like our wisdom, our intuition, our knowing lives in our body. Right. And this is something that you can call on multiple times a day. Yeah, that's why I thought this would be so great to share with everyone because it's something that I use often. It's something that you can use anytime you feel like, you know, you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious or heightened in any way. Just a way to kind of come back into yourself and like really notice what's going on. Yeah. Cool. I can I'll just lead it kind of like more guided, like body based meditation style. Perfect. Cool. Um, So if you're listening to this, you can go ahead, uh, if you're not driving, close your eyes or drop your gaze. And what we want to do first is just kind of find some touch points of safety for the body. So can you notice something in or around your body that feels like safety? You might look for something externally like the chair that you're sitting on or the walls that are around you or a blanket or an item of clothing. And just kind of pause and notice like that external feeling of safety. What tells you that that feels safe or sturdy? And then maybe noticing something inside of your body that feels like safety. That might be the weight of gravity pulling you down, your heart beating, noticing your breath. just kind of finding these touch points of safety before we dive into kind of presencing what's here because this is always an anchor that you can come back to if anything feels like too much we can always orient and anchor back into safety and so just turning towards your body and just noticing and asking yourself what am I feeling in or around my body in this moment just notice if there's any textures notice if there's any sensations Then you don't have to go deep down into the texture and the sensation, but almost if you can kind of notice it from this lens of spaciousness. And as you notice this, maybe seeing what this part of you needs in this moment. Is it just a little activated and doesn't need reassurance? Doesn't need to feel that somebody else is here with you? Does it need love or connection? And just pausing for a moment and allowing yourself to like honor that. Honor the need of this part of you. And just allowing yourself to meet that need. It might feel more energetic. It might be a visualization. It might just be presencing or being with it. If you're like, I'm not really sure what it needs, then just be with.
And as you're with it, just notice what happens in your body. Is there a softening? Is there a little downregulation? We want to take that into. So noticing the shift, noticing the change. And just taking a few breaths, just breathing in through the nose, exhaling out through the mouth. Just kind of letting your body bookmark this. Maybe placing a hand on that part and feeling that connection. And then when you're ready, you can begin making your way back. I love that exercise so much. Me too. It, it calms me. It just is, not just it calms everybody. I was like, wait, if I'm getting up to like speak on something, I'll kind of do that to like drop us in. And I'm like, that's that's for me as much as it is <laughs> for you <laughs> totally. all as I get up here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it works both ways. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Whenever I come out of that, I'm just like, oh, I can take on anything. Like, yeah feel so grounded and and anchored into the moment so thank you for leading us through that thank you so beautiful i'm so excited for you know all of your speaking events and all your traveling like i i have like a couple more questions for you so you got your master's in education which we both we both did but you you took like a totally different turn and now like now you own your own you know, coaching business and you have all of these different programs and you are a speaker on stages and you're doing like all of these great, amazing things that I hope to do one day. What do you think like your biggest challenges were that you that you had to overcome throughout that process? Mm, yeah, a lot. Uh, I feel like <laughs> the, the pressure that I felt to try to keep up with somebody else's timeline, like, mm-hmm. you know, people that were in programs with me, like, 3x what I was making, 10x what I was making, like feeling like they were going there so much faster. And like, it was a very slow burn. Like I've been building a personal brand in different capacities since 2012. And like, I'm just speaking on stages within the last year. That's 10, 11 years of showing up like day in and day out. And so like, I think that's a big one is like, we get on everybody else's timeline where we think we should be, how quick we think everything should be happening. We want like microwave results. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. let it, let it bake and and show up for it over time. And I think I also like, that's one thing. And another thing that pops up is, you know, just now getting the different financial pieces of it. Like I didn't leave an additional stream of income, whether that was part-time or full-time until I was consistently at like six, 10K plus months in my business and saw projected revenue coming. I think everybody wants to leave their source of income like really quick and like go, you know, quote unquote, go all in. I'm like, utilize the funds that you have coming in from a full-time job or a part-time job to like invest back into your business to know that your nervous system safe versus like right. throwing yourself in this fight or flight. Because then I think what happens is if things don't happen or, you know, things turn or it's not going as fast, then you get resentful, then you get frustrated, then you get overwhelmed. And it's like, give yourself and your nervous system like the space that you need in order to be able to work through it. So I'd say like that was a big thing too, where I let myself be okay with it versus again, thinking that, oh, that means I'm not, you know, good enough, or that means that I'm not doing, or I'm not going to be successful and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The comparison piece is huge. I feel like that's something I, I definitely struggle with, but 
I, now that, you know, I'm certified, I'm thinking about these different things I want to do. I'm taking it slow because I do work full time. But um, I see a lot of coaches online now because, you know, I follow so many since I've been in your program. And there's just so, like, not I'm not calling anyone out whatsoever, but there's just a lot that I don't resonate with or align with. Like, I know that it's not going to be the way that I do it. You know what I mean? So can you speak on like, maybe give me just like a little advice or motivation on like, it's okay to do it your own way. Cause you know how I am, you know how I like to have like everything planned out and I won't jump until like, until I feel that sense of safety. But that's, that's one of the things I'm kind of struggling with right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd say like blinders on and discernment. Like, like that's how that's how I am too I'm like I'm just staying in my own lane like what is my truth what do I know to be true for me and like leave leave the rest like I might look at somebody's thing and like I might be like oh okay that's interesting I don't maybe necessarily like agree with every piece of that but I'm going to take a little piece of that from here and and leave leave the rest and I think too we can kind of get in like scroll mode and taking in everything from everyone it's like no what's my truth and if you can cultivate deeper in your own truth, then you won't waver with everything else that happens around you. So it's really about like cultivating your truth and that unwavering energy because otherwise then you're kind of like those um those things at the car places, those uh yes. blow up things where you're like, I'm riding every roller coaster around me. I'm like, just stay in your lane, know your truth. And if you can anchor into that, then you're good, you know? Yeah. That makes so much sense. That that's I feel like that's my very next step because I know that I know that what I want to do is going to help change lives and, and, you know, it's my passion and what, what's going to drive me, but it's just owning it and, and having those blinders on and not worrying about what other people are doing and not comparing myself to others. So I'm about there. I'm planning me and Mel, um, which has been on the podcast and who introduced us. We just had a session and she's like, we're talking about the coaching container that I'm putting together, you know, the eight week one. Um, and so she's like, it's coming. And and right now it's just like the the building phase internally, I think, this monthly way that's really what I'm working on. And hopefully it's going to come out winter, January. I know I'm excited. Yeah. And I seriously have you to thank for so much. Your, your program, not only I'm certified now in so many different modalities, but I just grew so much as a person. And all the visualizations I did in your program, all of the work that, you know, me and my fellow cohort did together was life-changing. Like you are changing lives just by, you know, your programs that you run for for people. So thank you. Thank you. I love to, like, I have a visual of you being like setting the intention, like I want five downloads on the podcast. I'm like, girl, I think you're going to have more than five. (laughs) That was literally what I wanted at first. I'm like, oh, just be happy with five. Yeah, I'm like, I'm approaching 2000 now. So it's incredible. I know it's, it's really incredible to think that so many people are listening and, you know, just enjoying it. Like I get messages are like, I love your podcast. It's so great. I'm like, thank you. Like, I just I receive it. And I'm just so thankful that people are actually getting something from it. So, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you. And please. Yeah, of course. And I hope to be at another event of yours this year or next year. Yes, me too. All right. Have a good day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you loved what you heard, please leave me a review on iTunes, share it with your friends and tag me on social media. You can find me on Instagram at healinganddealing.podcast 
and by joining our Facebook group. Be sure to follow me for inspiration, tips, and exciting news about upcoming episodes. If you are interested in working with me one-on-one or have questions or comments about what you heard today, please email me at healinganddealing.podcast at gmail.com. Your support means the world to me. I'm so grateful to be sharing my voice and the voices of others with you. Now, let's keep healing and dealing. We'll see you in the next episode.